Good morning, church. Um, I have the honor of reading our scripture for this morning, so if you would please rise and stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Scripture this morning is from John 15, 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Remain in, um, sorry, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Zach. My wife looked over at me and was like, he's good with it. And I was like, yes, yes, he is. You know what? Come preach this. Come preach the word, man. I love it. Thank you so much, Zach, for reading the word. We, we read the word first because uh, we want to put the word in its rightful place. Uh, above my thoughts and our opinions, uh, the word of God speaks first. And as I was thinking about this moment, I have this terrible habit of, of, of multitasking, but I'm not good at it. So I'll be like scrolling through Twitter, thinking about what I'm going to do in this moment, and then uh, I end up not being very productive. But as I was scrolling through Twitter, every now and then there's something good, and this guy posted uh, the, this uh, memory or, or, or this uh, event in history where uh, a man was martyred because of his commitment to Jesus in the 15th century, and it just had me thinking about how people have held this word, and because of their commitment to Jesus and their commitment to this word, they have laid down their life for it. And so when we open the word and and we look at it, we're literally holding something that men and women have died to preserve and pass on from generation to generation so that you and I can gather and be formed by it. And as Thaddeus did such an awesome job really highlighting the significance of this month, I can't help but think of... um, African theologians like Athanasius and Tertullian, and maybe one of the most significant theologians who formed all theologians, Augustine, who all originated from North Africa, who had such a critical role to play in our understanding of the sacraments of the gathered church and did such an amazing job holding this word in such a way that future generations could open it up and be formed and, and, and receive it. And so when we read the word first, it's a significant moment of us saying, wow, praise God that we get to gather in such a room and open up this word and receive it and be formed by it. I hope it's something that we never take lightly. Um, so this morning we are... Um, in the book of John, we've been kind of making our way chapter to chapter through our, our sermon series, Abide. And, and the goal of this series has been uh, to look at the power and the beauty of God's word and, and unpack this powerful idea of abiding with Jesus. So one of the goals is that we would grow in abiding with Jesus. We would grow in being with Jesus. And, and one of the greatest gifts that we've been given uh, that I mentioned last week is eternal union with Jesus. Uh, that I am in the Father, the Father is in me. There's this, there's this uh, eternal relationship that we share with the Godhead everywhere we go, that he is in us and we are in him and nothing can separate this relationship. And, and this is what makes the gospel good news is that when you place your faith in Jesus, you immediately become united to him. That when you place your faith in Jesus, there's a supernatural transaction where you become connected to the God of the universe in a way that you never have before. 
And the scripture calls us to grow in him, to live with him, to abide with him, to build our lives upon Jesus. And in doing so, we become more and more like him. God doesn't just call us to abide so we can just sit at his feet and then leave the same. He calls us to abide so that we can become more and more like the person we're abiding with. It calls us to spend time with him because the more we interact with him and the more we are with him, the more we look like him. And the problem, as we touched on last week, is that we're called to live in the world, but most of us, myself included, just settle for visiting it occasionally. We're called to live upon the word, but most of us settle for just driving by it. We want what the scriptures have to offer, but if we're being honest, we don't want to look at the scriptures. We want to be with God, but if we're honest, it's difficult to place ourselves before God. As I've heard one pastor say, we want the life of Jesus, but we don't want the lifestyle. We want to experience the quality of life that Jesus experiences, but we don't want to pursue the lifestyle that that produces that life, the lifestyle that requires discipline, connection, abiding. Uh, My natural disposition is not one of a very disciplined person. Thanks for not laughing. I was, I, was, I was expecting you guys to be like, ha ah, yeah, that's so true. You're not disciplined. Thank you. That means a lot to me that you didn't laugh there. Uh, it, it, I'm not very disciplined. It's something that I work very hard at. Uh, for example, I go in and out of hobbies. That's true. Uh, in high school, I bought a guitar because I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. Uh, and so uh, I, I started learning the beginning of a lot of songs and then moving on. And, and so I know the beginning of like 12 songs, but I don't know the middle or the end because uh, I just have a really hard time staying focused and, and, and finishing. And, and, uh, and, and my most recent obsession has become uh, running. Um, I, I want the life of a runner, but I don't want the lifestyle <laughs> of a runner. Uh, uh, so much so that I bought these really fancy running shoes. They're called Hoka's. I bought them on sale because I'm a good steward. And they have like this three-inch cushion insole, and they're amazing. I wear them around the house all the time because they're the most comfortable things I own. And and I want the lifestyle. I I, I want the life. I just don't want to do the thing that gets me that life. And so I got these shoes, and my wife is my incredible accountability partner. She's like, you going to go for a run? Yeah, I'm going to go for a run. And so I woke up early one morning, strapped on the shoes, put on my favorite podcast, and I ran. And I stopped running after two minutes. And uh, I did what y'all do. I blamed COVID. I said, no, this is the COVID fatigue, man. It's still here. So, uh, so we'll, we'll pick this back up in a, in a couple weeks. I, I, I want the life of a runner but I don't want to do what a runner is doing to get that life. And and if you're a runner, please do not invite me to run. I've moved on. I've moved completely on. If I may, we we want the life of Jesus. But we don't want the lifestyle of Jesus sometimes. We want a life that's lavished with love, but we don't want to love our enemies. We want a life that is filled with life-giving relationships, but we don't want to forgive our former friends. We want freedom, but we don't want to carry the cross. We want joy, but we don't want to pursue the primary ways of getting it, obedience to the Father and being with Jesus. And if you feel this struggle, if you feel this tension in your life, there's good news. 
And it's this truth that we're going to unpack. Jesus is the true vine. Let's look at verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Uh, so what, what's happening here is that Jesus is doing something that's been uh, extremely ordinary in his ministry that has caused a ton of controversy. Uh, if you remember, we unpacked this idea that Jesus is uh, the bread of life. And when he says that, he's attaching this title that was strictly reserved for God, ego in me, and saying that I am the God who fulfills and sustains in a way that earthly bread can't, I come to fulfill you. And Jesus has done this seven different times. And this is the final time that we see one of these I am statements. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so why does Jesus call himself the true vine? And, and, and what is a vine? What are we talking about here? Well, first we have to understand that when Jesus calls himself the true vine, he's indicating the existence of other types of vines, false vines. Uh, and specifically, there are two types of vines uh, that, that we need to unpack that will help us understand the significance of the true vine. So the first type of vine is a symbolic vine. If you're taking notes, you can write down symbolic vine. So when Jesus talks about vines, uh, he's not talking about like Tarzan in the jungle swinging from tree to tree, these awesome vines. Rather, the imagery that is being invoked were the common vineyards that were all over Israel. Uh, like Napa Valley, California, or even certain parts of the hill country, vineyards everywhere, a land that had, was just so ripe for growing grapevines. And, and so uh, these grapes would be fermented to produce wine, and, and because of their abundance of vineyards, it became a national symbol. Uh, the same way like the stars and stripes are an American national symbol, the vine was the national symbol for Israel. Uh, and this symbol was so powerful, it meant so much to them that on their coins that they minted, they put vines on them, these images of vines. This symbol was so significant that in the temple that was in the city, when you walked through the doorway, there was a golden arch of vines that surrounded, that, that covered the doorway that marked your entrance into the temple. It was significant. One of the reasons, it carried economic significance. Uh, Grapes produce wine and you can sell wine and make money or, or wine sort of, or grapes sort of represent livelihood. And yet here's the tragic irony. It is that the vine represented a broken past that Israel had. The Old Testament is rich with references to vineyards and in fact, it's a reoccurring metaphor to Israel. And almost every single reference that we see Israel being called the vineyard in the Old Testament, it's never positive. Uh, Israel is called a vineyard because it was planted by God with the intention of bearing fruit. Psalm 80, verse 8 through 9, gives us insight into what this looks like. Uh, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, took deep root and filled the land. So here's the idea. Israel is the vine. Israel is this sort of plant that God placed in a foreign land that was once enslaved to the great nation of Egypt. And under the leadership of Moses and the work of God, they were transplanted. They were moved to a completely different land. They were set free from the oppressive rule of Pharaoh and brought into the promised land. And when God plants something, he expects it to grow. When God plants something, he expects it to bear fruit. 
And so this, in, this, in this new land, Israel grew rapidly. There was plenty of space for them to grow, plenty of space for them to thrive. And God, who is a good gardener, protected his people, cared for them, lavished them, provided for them. So the idea is that God is the vine dresser and Israel is the vineyard. And the idea is that there was supposed to be connection to God, live in such a way where there was obedience to God's way, because that's the way you, you live a fruitful life is by living in union with God. And they were supposed to worship him all the days of their lives. And you and I know that didn't happen. There was broken connection. Why? Because there was an interior life dominated by sin. And that sin came out of them and began to corrupt everything they touched. Instead of being connected to God, they found themselves in the new land and said, whoa, look at that God. I don't know what that God does, but I want to bow down to it. That God provides rain? What do I need to do? That God provides food? I'm in. And so now all of a sudden, idol worship has been introduced into this people group's lives. And instead of being connected to God, they find themselves connected to false gods. And anytime we give our lives to anyone except the one true God, as I've said before, we never create a better world. We just further brokenness in it. Instead of being obedient to God, they rejected him. Instead of falling in love with him, they gave their love away to other lovers. And Isaiah, the prophet who sees this situation go down, this is the way he describes it in chapter five, verses one and two. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice wines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat or a wine press in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. The vine dresser, the the person who owns the vine and tends to it, does all this work with the expectation that the vine will be fruitful. Uh, My wife's grandmother is a winemaker, and and she grows her own muscadine grapes in her backyard, and seeing her get into it is absolutely amazing. Like, she individually crushes these grapes, and she's playing worship music in the background, so it's extra holy, and and she's doing the whole fermenting thing, and and she's so confident about it, because it's good, and she's good at it. But I've seen her look at me as I'm visiting, and I'm saying, Grandma, what wines are you making? Saying, there's no grapes this year. The birds got it. It was a bad yield, bad harvest. And what's happening here is that these vines, they were watered. They were cared for. They were protected against the wild. They were invested in, and they were supposed to bear fruit. Yet in spite of all of this work, the vine produces worthless, wild grapes. Other translations say garbage grapes, useless grapes that are no good for wine. And this isn't talking about the grapes that have gone soft and mushy. This is talking about grapes that have spoiled rotten and are useless and not even edible. And here's the truth. The bad fruit is not the vine dresser's fault. After all, God took careful pains to plant the vine and take care of it. It is the vine itself that is in fault. It is the people of God who have an interior life dominated by sin. And that sin only produces further brokenness, chaos, 
destruction, and death. The vine, the people of God, fail to produce good fruit. They produce bad grapes because they failed to love God and give their lives to him and be connected to him. So in the background, we have this cultural symbol that that represents a good thing Israel has going for them. Look at all these vineyards. Look at all these these wine presses. Like, this is our thing. Uh, But at the same time, it's a symbol of heartbreaking spiritual significance. It is a reminder of a dark history of rebellion and epic failure to be a fruitful people after God's own heart. A vine that was supposed to bear the fruit of love towards God. Instead, they've turned their back on God and ran after false idols. A vine that was supposed to be connected to God and through that connection come alongside God's mission to rescue the world from sin and renew it to its former glory. And with this in the background, Jesus stands up boldly and says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you know how you were supposed to be a fruitful nation? A nation that would transform the world around them and help cultivate a world that gives glory to God. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that symbol. I am the true vine. This moment cannot be understated. What Jesus is saying is that what you fail to do, I have done on your behalf. In other words, Jesus has taken the place of Israel as God's vine. The idea is that God's vineyard is no longer a nation. It is one person, and that's Jesus. One trunk, if that's an easier way to think about it. And anyone who wants to be connected to God must first be connected to Jesus. Think about how radical this moment is. Jesus has just taken Israel's national symbol, their stars and stripes, and said, that's not the symbol of fruit. One that they prided themselves in, Jesus has completely redefined. He's saying, you are no longer God's vineyard, I am. And you're just a branch. And unless you're connected to me, you will not bear fruit. And if Jesus radically redefining a nation's political symbol isn't enough, this is what's so amazing about Jesus, he takes it up a notch. And he says, unless you're connected to me, you will not grow in a relationship with God. What? This is the kind of stuff that frequently made people want to pick up stones and kill Jesus. This is the kind of statement that made Jesus so radically different and hated by many and loved by even more. Jesus is radically redefining what it means to be a son and daughter of the Most High King. Saying, unless you're connected to me, you will not grow with God. And the primary way growth happens is through pruning. And and there is nothing to prune unless your life is connected to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can produce fruit. This is what he says in verse 2, 4, 5, and 8. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, apart from being connected to Jesus, apart from being in union with him, you can do absolutely nothing. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you're connected to Jesus, you will produce fruit. And what is this fruit? Paul gives us a list in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, and this list is not exhaustive, but he says the fruit of the Spirit, notice fruit singular of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Uh, I remember when I first came to Jesus and I, and, and I read something like this, I, I thought to myself, today is the day I'm going to grow in love. Check. Tuesday, I'm going to grow in joy. Wednesday, peace. Skip patience. Thursday, kindness. Next week, we'll do goodness and faithfulness. And and we read this and we think this idea to ourselves like, let me become the best version of myself by trying so hard to will these fruits into existence. But what Jesus is saying is that fruit is just the outcome of being primarily connected to him. So if you want to grow in a life of godliness, it doesn't come by auditing yourself and seeing where you're lacking. It comes from abiding and remaining in him and letting the vine dresser produce fruit in your life. What is this fruit? Simply put, you becoming more and more like Jesus. How how do we do this? Verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10. Abide in me, and I in you. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, abide, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. This word that keeps coming to the surface, abide, abide, abide. Uh, I love Zach's translation. It says, remain, Uh, remain. If you want to become like Jesus, we must remain in Jesus. We must abide with Jesus. Uh, Here's a quote from New Testament scholar Gary Burge. He says, the growing disciple in whom the Father and Son live through the Spirit is one whose life is utterly dependent on Christ. Discipleship is not a matter of acknowledging who Jesus is. It is having spirituality, it is having Jesus' spirituality connected to our inner lives. The idea is is that abiding is reflecting radical dependence on Jesus, uh, reflecting radical submission to him and letting him be the Lord of our lives in such a way that Jesus has the authority over every single area, every single second, every single decision that we make. And the more we spend time with him, the more we become like him. And yet the culture that we live in loves to reverse that. Don't depend on anybody. You be independent. You set the course for your your life and you go get what's yours. And if anybody stands in the way, they were never with you, so forget them. And what's so tragic is that those, that kind of trajectory produces a very temporary fruit that is not lasting. And it's a bitter fruit that will destroy you, destroy your family, and create a disconnect from God because it's not the way of Jesus. 
The way of Jesus is remaining in him, practicing radical dependence on him and radical submission. As one author says, if he lives in you, he will make his presence known. If Jesus lives in you, he will make his presence known. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let's pause here. It is very important to point out that fruit bearing is not a test. Uh, God isn't testing to see how well you're doing patient and kind and loving and how much fruit you're bearing in your life. God is not measuring your performance and God is not measuring your productivity. Rather, fruit bearing is a byproduct of being connected to the vine that produces life. Connection to Jesus and his life flowing through us will lead to fruitfulness. And to further quote Gary Bird, he says, fruitfulness will be the inevitable outcome of an interior spiritual life with Jesus. What does this mean for us? We've been talking about vineyards and the powerful imagery they represent. We've been talking about Jesus being the true vine. And if your head isn't dizzy like mine is from going to abide in this and abide in that and you are this and you are that, it seems like there's a lot going on here. What does this mean for us and and what do we do with this? Uh, these are powerful truths that can seem so ordinary, but, but what do they have to do with you and I? What does Jesus being the true vine have to do when you clock into work and another week of being overworked and underappreciated is on the horizon? What does Jesus being the true vine bring to your life? Or when you're home after a long day and you feel disconnected from your spouse and you want to be as far away as possible from the demands of life because you just want to breathe, what does Jesus being the true vine have to do with my life. Or students, when you're on the bus or the car ride home and you feel overwhelmed and you feel tired and you're desperately wishing that the school year would be over, what does Jesus being the true vine have to do with my life right now? Everything. Because when you feel the weight of the world on your shoulder, the temptation will be to attach yourself to someone or something that will help shoulder the burden of life and bring you strength through what you're going through. And I believe the temptation we all face will be to attach ourselves to a symbolic vine, a false vine, or will it be the true vine? Let me ask it another way for more clarity. Which version of Jesus are you abiding with? The symbolic Jesus, the false Jesus, or the true vine Jesus? The symbolic Jesus, this Western Jesus, a version of Jesus that you are aware of but have little interest abiding with. The Jesus you hear stories about that is nothing more than a symbol for the Christian faith. The Jesus that your friends are madly in love with but you doubt will love you back. A version of Jesus that is powerful enough to work in other people's lives and be the beacon of hope and healing for them, but will never be more than a man who lived a couple thousand years ago for you. A Jesus who symbolizes the faith you follow on your own terms. The Jesus men and women have taken great risks for and have given their lives for this person, but you choose to follow him safely on your own terms. And the great danger of submitting our lives to a symbolic Jesus is you saying, I don't want to attach myself to the vine and let the Father prune me and grow me. I will cultivate myself. I will grow myself. I will do what I believe is best for me. And friends, this doesn't produce fruit. 
Why? Because fruit doesn't grow that way. It produces bondage. And if it's not a symbolic Jesus that merely means something to us, I believe it's a false Jesus. The version of Jesus that promises you your best life now and robs you of the growth that is on the other side of suffering and hardship. The version of Jesus that is more concerned with what your ballot looks like than what your heart looks like. The version of Jesus who is totally okay with the sins you practice because he lets you define holiness. The version of Jesus who is more of a safety net and will never judge you because this Jesus is okay with you justifying yourself according to your own standards. And when you attach yourself to this false Jesus, you'll find yourself being extremely disappointed because this Jesus offers the illusion of fruitfulness but comes up empty every single time. This false Jesus is the false idol that promises to love you back as long as you do right by him. And the Old Testament is there to show us that idols don't bring life, they bring death. Are you detached from Jesus? Are you attached to a false vine? Or are you connected to the true vine? The true Jesus, the Jesus who defines himself, the Jesus who sets the terms for following him, the Jesus who is God and fulfilled all the Old Testament covenants, the Jesus who lived in perfect obedience to the Father, the Jesus who is God in the flesh, died on the cross for the sins of the world so that people disconnected from God, detached from his presence because of sin, can be reconnected to the Father because the true vine has removed their sins as far as east is from the west. The true Jesus who is the glorious king who deserves full submission to his lordship and sets the terms for being in relationship to him. The true Jesus who identifies with your stress. The true Jesus who feels your pain. The Jesus who knows your failures. The Jesus who hears your cries. The Jesus who understands your grief. The Jesus who can truly comfort, who can truly heal, who truly knows you. The Jesus who suffers with you. The Jesus who's defeated death for you. The Jesus who gives new life. The Jesus who is coming back to finish what he started, who will come back to judge the living and the dead. Is this the Jesus you're connected to? Is this the Jesus you're abiding with? Is this the Jesus you're remaining in? Jesus found himself a few chapters later in a garden vineyard and Jesus would find himself pressed like a grape is pressed to produce wine as he's feeling the agony of sin and death await him on the cross and he begins to pour out his life so that his life can be poured into us and in this moment Jesus takes the place of weeping of pain and turns it into the place of joy and life and Jesus sees this moment awaiting him. And in John chapter 14, he says, hey, uh, uh, this is going to happen to me. Don't worry. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit helper before you. It is better that I leave so that he remains in you always. And then the next chapter, Jesus begins to transition into this new covenant living. No longer is it about uh, being uh, with Christ. Now it's being in Christ and his presence being inside of us, living life in the spirit. And this is the invitation that Jesus offers us, to be attached to him in such a way that we bear fruit, not because we're looking for it, but because we're connected to the source of life.
And the invitation that Jesus is, in, is giving us right now is to detach from all sorts of false security, false vines, or even just passive ways of pursuing him and experiencing life abundantly that comes from full submission and dependence on him. Will you abide with this Jesus? Will you remain in him? Let's close in prayer.